This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 329, and we are recording on May 17th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today is a special show. We're celebrating AAPI Heritage Month. Woot woot! <laughs> I mean, we are always recommending... Asian American and Pacific Islander authors, really, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, let's take a special moment to shout them out. So we've got recommendations coming up for um, Southeast Asian American, East Asian American, Pacific Islander, all kinds of different authors. Many genres. Many genres. Oh, yeah, so many genres. (laughs) That was the fun part of planning for today. I was like, I will have every genre. (laughs) Yeah, same. I I really tried to hit a nice mix of both ethnicities and genres which made it for like a fun tetris game (laughs) yeah it was the tetris is exactly right it was very fun to like go through my reading you know spreadsheets and like try to like make the perfect like mini jigsaw puzzle for today (laughs) obviously there's no like one list right there's like and we have a billion recommendations on site which you should go check out uh yeah I voted this morning, so just a reminder to everybody to vote in your primaries and local elections, because as we've seen from the news cycle, that stuff is even more important than ever right now. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying. Mm -hmm. Just saying. How are you today, Amanda? I'm good. It is 80 degrees and sunny, so I am (laughs) very likely to bounce out of here a little early and go sit on a rock at the river like a lizard. So that's my plan for the day. (laughs) Oh, I love that journey for you. That sounds amazing. Yes, the river's about 10 minutes from my house, so any chance I get, I go just like a cold-blooded animal. Let me just lay on this rock. Let me just, you put one foot in. It's like, you know, yes. when you lay in your bed and you one foot yes. out of the covers for ventilation. It's the same thing at the river. It's one foot in the water, everything else in the sun, and then you're good. Like a nice, like a, a beer or like a seltzer. Yes. Ready to go. <laughs> I live 10 minutes from a creek and it has never occurred to me on a hot day to just like bring my camp chair down there. Just go sit. sit. Yes. A water chair is the best. It's yes. the best. Just go sit in a body of water. <laughs> yes. I'm going to do that. Tis All the right. season. We, ha- <laughs> we have our plans for after, after recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, right. Let's talk about the show though, shall we? Let's do that thing. Uh, so how the show normally works <laughs> is we are answering specific reading recommendations requests. So you can send those in uh, either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Uh, You can send in a request for yourself, for a friend or family member, for a book club, for travel reasons, for whatever. And we might answer it on the air. If it is for a specific date and time you're hoping to have an answer by, please put time sensitive, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. 
And... Oh, right. It's still listener survey time, yes? Yes. yes. Yep. So please, 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 go fill out <laughs> our podcast listener survey. We would love to hear what kind of podcast content you like, what you'd like more of or less of from us, what other podcasts you listen to, all of your podcast feelings. We would like to hear them. <laughs> uh, so go to bookriot.com slash listener survey to fill out the survey. And then if you do, you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice, which is extra awesome. So you can support a bookstore and get some books potentially. Again, that's bookriot.com slash listener survey. Okay. So we are going to take a little sponsor break, and then we're going to get with recommending some AAPI authors to you. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda, do you mm-hmm. want to go first? Sure. Um, my first pick is not out until July. I'm sorry. <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> Just starting out strong. <laughs> yeah, I know. And look, you know, I feel we never really do that, right? We try no. really hard to make sure we're recommending books you can go out and get right now. And so I feel like that should really indicate how strongly I feel that y'all should mm. go read this book. So go pre-order it. It's called... How to Read Now by Elaine Castillo. It comes out at the end of July. 
Castillo is a Filipino-American writer, and this is a work of nonfiction, probably, as you can tell from the title, about books and the reading life. And it is so timely and so relevant. And what she's essentially saying is that the the publishing industry and the book media, by which she inclu- is including us, <laughs> has gotten reading pretty wrong in recent days. And that, and it is part of the reason why we have gotten things like, you know, the Trump presidency and all the things that came after it. And she really takes to task the diversification of reading lists as a way to build empathy idea, um, which we are all guilty of doing. Uh, you know, I remember mm. after... The summer of 2020, everybody everywhere was buying books by black authors as a way to whatever, like show support. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But it's also, as Castillo points out in this book, it just serves to further ghettoize the art of people of color. Because what we're saying essentially is that we go to writers of color for the specific and we go to white writers for the universal, mm. which is true. I mean, you know, you you see, I mean, we see that all the time. People write in constantly to the show asking us for like, you know, I've read a lot of white people. Please recommend me a brown author. And I'm happy to answer those questions. And I think that that's important. I also think it's a double edged sword. And I haven't seen anybody really address that. And she's not just talking about that. She does also take to task the idea that art is just art and should stand on its own because that is patently false. And like the idea that removing, you know, Austin from her family's slaveholding context is a big disservice to readers everywhere. So Mm. she's not just talking about how to read books or like what books we quote unquote should read. That's not really the point, but about how people think about their reading, especially in the political context of today. And you know, the driving issue behind the problems in publishing is that 90% of the employees are white ladies who were like have really nice intentions, but are all white ladies, Um, except at the top, in which case they're white men. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's complicated. And she, she pulls no punches. It's very, very satisfying. It is a little bit like a just a memoir of a reading life, which I always find those sorts of books really fascinating. I think other people's reading lives are really, really interesting. And Castillo is the child of immigrants. And her father was the person who like, captained most of her reading life. So she spent almost her entire reading life up until her adulthood reading books and translations, mostly by like German and Austrian authors, because that's what her dad liked. So she's actually read very little American writers and she does she makes fun of them a little bit. Like she does like the twang of the white American voice, which is hilarious. And a thing I had not realized existed until she pointed it out. And I'm like, oh gosh, we do have a twang. Um, American writers do have a twang when they're white. It's true. But anyway, it's just if you think if you're a person in the book space, whether professionally or not, or just like you consider yourself a reader, capital R, and you're a person of color, she's going to be pointing out a lot of things you've already felt, but haven't seen articulated anywhere. And if you are a white reader, and you feel yourself doing these sorts of things, reading books by people of color in order to build empathy, when in reality, we should all have empathy anyway, you know, this is like, it'll just help you think about it a little bit differently. So I think it's really, really important. I've not seen many people talking about it, which isn't surprising, because she's, you know, yelling at everybody. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Nobody is like, nobody is pure in Elaine Castillo's world, which I love, because nobody's pure in real life. Like, this is just right. reality. So go, 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 Gadget, read the book, How to Read Now by Elaine Castillo. I am bumping that up on my TBR. That sounds fantastic. And yes. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I'm going to... Petunia has feelings about it. We hear you, Petunia. I'm going to shut my door, which I apparently forgot to do. Uh, Okay. So... (laughs) 
So let's see. So my first pick is a mystery. I will say, y'all, you know if you've been listening to the show for a minute that I struggle sometimes to read crime genres and mm. it's always one of my goals to read more. I am killing it this year for the <laughs> record. I am I think I've already read more like mystery and crime books this year than I've read in like the past couple years combined. So hooray for me. And I'm so excited to talk about this book. It's The Verifiers by Jane Peck. Um, I will give a content warning for discussion of suicide. It is like very baked into the plot. So, you know, FYI, this is about a Chinese American family. Well, I mean, it's about Claudia, who is the daughter of a Chinese American family who live in New York City. She is obsessed with, you know, mystery novels, Agatha Christie, like all of that jazz. And also Jane Austen, like she's very literary and she so many of us, was struggling to figure out, like, okay, I've graduated with these degrees. Like, now what do I do? (laughs) Relatable. Um, So relatable. And she ends up, she and she, like, loves to sleuth. And she ends up getting a job because she played this, like, game, this, like, sleuth game online and got approached by the creator who turns out to run a dating detective agency, sort of. So this agency that she gets hired by, which is called Veracity, like gets hired by people who are dating online who want to know if the people they're talking to online are telling the truth. They verify the information that people say about themselves. And what's so interesting about this premise is that Peck really digs into like privacy and surveillance issues around, you know, dating apps in particular, but like also all of these apps that we use to like connect ourselves to the world. And it's it's like a I like wanted to put in a tinfoil hat at one point. Mm. I was like, oh my God. Um, so that's really great. But in the course of working for this agency, uh, one of their clients who had some like weird requests, they were like, mm, okay, I don't know what this lady's actually looking for here that client dies and it's ruled a suicide but you know claudia believes that foul play is involved and she just can't let it go and so you know you can imagine sort of how it unfolds from there what i love about this book is that we get like such a 360 view of claudia we meet her family who have like you know classic model minority problems her mom just wants her to settle down with a nice chinese boy claudia dates women like it's hashtag complicated um she is the youngest and like her older siblings have a lot of feelings about the <laughs> you know birth order like responsibility parental situation i mean it's a whole it's so relatable in so many ways and i just loved the way this unfolded i will also say I actually think this is a pretty solid comp for Only Murders in the Building because even though it's not like a group of people, it has like those New Yorky vibes. It has a person who's obsessed with mysteries, trying to solve a mystery and knowing that like they don't actually know what they're doing, but they're going to do it anyway. And there's a few other things that I think will appeal. The humor, like I think it's very, I think it's a decent comp for Only Murders in the Building. So if you're looking for that as well. And it just kept going in unexpected directions. Like it it moved all over the place. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that again is The Verifiers by Jane Peck. So my next pick is also a lot about tech and privacy, um, which is interesting. So I picked Mm. Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang, who is a Chinese author. And this is about like, if lean in, but Sheryl Sandberg was a Russian agent. <laughs> Which I wouldn't, what? you know, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't rule it out entirely, I'm just saying. So 
It's uh, 2006 when the book opens. Julia is the main character. She lives in Moscow. She's a Russian college student. She graduates and gets recruited by Russia's uh, intelligence agency. And they set her up in Silicon Valley and give her some stolen uh, data. And she uses it to build a tech company called Tangerine, which in this world is kind of like Google meets Facebook. And she is the COO. So she, you know, it's been like over a decade that she's been doing this job. She is, of course, a secret Russian asset, but they've mostly left her alone, except to instruct her at various times. So like, hey, you should probably get married now. Hey, you should probably have a baby now. Like, make yourself the typical American female business person, you know. But then her handler shows up one day and wants her to use her, like, God mode abilities inside this app to locate the to find the location in real time of some Russian political enemies who, of course, when she turns over this information, turn up dead a few days later. Um, the other main character is a woman named Alice Liu. She's a first generation Chinese American. She lives in Silicon Valley. She works at Tangerine as like a low level security, cybersecurity person. And one day when she is running kind of routine server checks, she notices somebody has activated God mode in, and is like using it to access somebody's private information. And so it's a combination of Julia trying to hang on to the life that she feels as though she has built and that she deserves to keep. So she's very resistant to doing the things that the, her like Russian handler is telling her to do because she doesn't want to get caught. So you, you go back and forth between her point of view and Alice's point of view as she dives deeper into trying to figure out who is using this, what is supposed to be impossible access to uh, the data of the people who are using the app, Tangerine. So it's a mystery. It's like a political thriller. There's a lot going on. It's really, really fast-paced and interesting. And I could not get the Sheryl Sandberg but Russian asset thing out of my head. And I, I think about every time you see Facebook or Meta in the news, I'm like, Russian. You know, I just, it's just, <laughs> it's planted the seeds in my head. And now I can't forget it. And there it is. It just lives there. But it's really um, engaging and like a fun, I think this would be a really good like beach read. You know, um, you're not going to be heavily invested in anything. I will mention that there is one instance of racially motivated violence against Alice's parents who own a dry cleaner uh, in Silicon Valley. And that is, I think that's the like heaviest moment of the book. The rest of it is this just kind of like spy thriller, essentially. So that's Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang. Nice. I just put that on hold at the library. <laughs> it's super fun. <laughs> I look forward to my brain being infected. Uh, okay, so my next pick is my sci-fi pick. It's The Vanished Birds by Simon Jimenez, who is a Filipino author. And this book, oh my lord, I am a little bit obsessed with it. I discovered it by accident. I picked it up at a indie bookstore because it was like, you know, staring at me from the shelf, but I never heard anybody talk about it. I think I did a hand sell about it, maybe. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's amazing. It follows a few different points of view. I'm going to try to simplify for the sake of time and brain. Uh, so Nia is the easiest character to start with. She, this is a, you know, galaxy slash universe where Faster than light travel exists and people are ferrying goods, basically, between the different planets um, as part of the economy. And so Nia works on like one of those ships, which means that she ages differently from all of the people on the planets that she touches. So, you know, she is very sort of isolated in a lot of ways. Um, she will make sort of 
fleeting relationships and then have to see those people age and change in ways that are out of sync with herself. And she's, you know, she's like has this solitary existence. It's not super weird for her. Then we and this is actually the first character that we see interacting with other people. There's this boy who turns up mysteriously on one of these resource planets. It's a farming planet and is discovered by the locals. And they are extremely confused about him. And there's some like, you know, cultural stuff around people who appear out of nowhere. Like, is he a demon? Like, what's going on? But one of the people, uh, like, sort of takes him under his wing and adopts this boy who doesn't speak. He clearly was injured and is suffering from trauma. Very fa- Oh, I forgot to give content warnings. Like, child abuse. So much child abuse in this book. Um, so this boy is clearly traumatized, doesn't speak, doesn't seem to know what's going on. But the, And because it's like, we're not so sure that we want this kid around, he gets handed to Nia when the next time she comes and visits this planet. And... The story is about, you know, found family. Who is this boy? What happened to him? He turns out to be very special and important. And uh, but nobody really understands why. And you get all of these characters sort of swirling around him before you finally really find out what is going on. It is such an interesting combination of things like the way that Jimenez has built out this this universe Super interesting. The characters are so strong. There is so much, like, there's so many layers going on in here. And I'm not going to tell you too much more about the plot because I really think going in just with, like, a baseline understanding is the best way to do it. I would rather you not know anything and just pick it up on my recommendation, but nobody does that. So mm-hmm. uh, here we are. But, yeah, I just, it is, like, one of the, like, most interesting thinky books that I've read in a while that I just wasn't expecting. And I read a lot of sci-fi, so I love it when I get surprised. Um, So again, that's The Vanished Birds by Simon Jimenez. All right. So my next one is a mystery series, and it is IQ by Joe Ide, who's a Japanese-American author. And it's the first book. The first book is called IQ, but there are several books after that. And this is the only Shakespeare retelling that matters. So there's that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's the only one. I love it so much. Uh, The rest of them don't exist. Just kidding. And it's about a boy, well, boy, young man named Isaiah who lives in East Long Beach, Uh, And he solves mysteries for his neighbors and sometimes for paying clients. Most of the time they're for his neighbors and it's stuff like, you know, where did my chickens go? Or like, who broke into my car? Like things like that. Crimes that are either not interesting enough for the police to do anything about or that are occurring in an, an area of town that the police are not interested in. So either way, the police are not interested in these kinds of uh, the kinds of things that Isaiah is solving. He gets paid mostly in like pies and casseroles. uh, And then also sometimes, as I said, he hires paying clients. And when the book opens, you're going back and forth between his childhood and the present day when he's doing this kind of work. And you kind of get the picture of how he ended up this like brilliant genius kid ended up alone um, in this neighborhood doing this kind of work to make a living and like the motivations behind why he's doing it. You get all of that. Um, But the crime that the book focuses on is that of a rapper who is like kind of aging and becoming increasingly irrelevant and has 
convinced himself that there is somebody out to assassinate him. Like, he is very convinced that someone has, like, trained a killer dog to kill him. And his manager has hired Isaiah, who they call IQ, hence the title of the book, to figure out if there's any truth behind this. Because he just wants to get the rapper back in the studio because money and all of that. Um, and so that's the crime that he that Isaiah is being paid to solve, figuring out who's after this musician and for what reason and like what can be done about it. There's a f- hilarious cast of like side characters, including the rapper's like very mad ex-wife who I just like loved any every moment that she was on the page. Isaiah's like Watson character, his name is Dodson, and I could not. If they make a movie of this, he needs to be played somehow magically by Kevin Hart 20 years ago because that is his exact voice. And he gets described as like this really short, really brash kind of dude. And then the clothes he wears are Kevin Hart's. I just could not get Kevin Hart out of my head. Anyway, (laughs) welcome Hollywood casting. Please go back in time and cast Kevin Hart when he was 25. But it's so, so great. There is, of course, like the obvious criticism you can make here that Joe Ide is not a black person. I mean, he is from that neighborhood that he's writing about, but he is not from this community. So all of the caveats go there. But otherwise, it's super fun. So I'm just I'm on like a beach reads role here. I think this would be a good bit. It's kind of mm. thick for a beach read. But if you read on an e-reader, you know, it'd be great. Or maybe on like a plane. It's a good plane read. So that's IQ <laughs> by Joe Ide. <laughs> Awesome. All right. My next pick is literary fiction. It's Intimacies by Katie Kitamura, who is a Japanese-American author. Listen, y'all, I have yet to read a book from Kitamura that I have not loved. So, like, Mm. honestly, this is like a blanket (laughs) recommendation (laughs) because she does – all of her books are wildly different in subject and a little bit in tone. But she does these books where you're like – Sometimes there is a clear plot, sometimes there's not, but often you're like very stressed out for reasons that are hard to pin down, which I think is a is like an interesting feat to be able to pull off and still keep me turning the pages, which I always do. Intimacies is the most recent one that I've read, and it is about an interpreter and translator who works at The Hague in the international court, which is like where they try war crimes. So, you know, that's a pretty heavy job, right? Like it's Mm. translating for, you know, either for or against like literal war criminals. So it's not not a light, easy job and not everybody is good at it. But our main character is. And she actually ends up being tapped to translate for this new uh, politician who's been brought in and who is very charismatic and, like, very disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of the book is that experience. Like, you are following her as she's, like, trying to figure out how to handle translating for this case. She's also dating someone who is separated from his wife, but, like, they're still married. There's kids involved. Like, it's hashtag complicated. And then also her friend, Yana, sees this very seemingly random act of violence, and they all become very involved in the life of the victim of that act of violence. And it's just super, like, feelingsy, but in a really interesting way way because you know you're not the plots don't necessarily connect like everything is just what this translator is dealing with in her day-to-day life and it 
feels really true to life, except that like these are not experiences I'm ever gonna have. So it's it's a sort of a window into a very different life than the one that I do have. Kitamura is such a wordsmith. The sentences are so freaking good. And it's just a fascinating book. It's a really interesting book. Um, but again, all of her works are like that. So this has been Intimacies by Katie Kitamura. Shall we do a sponsor? Let's do a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, um, my next book is a book. <laughs> I lost my tab for a second. Okay, I found it. <laughs> um, it is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong, who is a Korean author. And this is an essay collection about being an Asian minority in America. I love these kinds of essay collections. There have been a couple that have come out. Um, Loneliest Americans is one that uh, I've recommended. I think I did a hand style about it. That one is a bit more controversial than Minor Feelings, but they both they have a lot in common. So it's partially like a memoir, as these essay collections often are, um, and then partially a look at history um, of the, I'm using air quotes, Asian American experience um, and the kind of where the Asian American identity sits in current political thinking. I learned quite a bit from this essay collection specifically about the Korean experience. And there's, for example, like 
the history of double eyelid surgery. I did not realize that that originated with like a white dude during the Korean War who was performing it on sex workers to try to make them more attractive to American GIs. Like, hashtag yikes. <laughs> that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So even thinking about the ways that uh, beauty standards in Korean culture are really rooted in that kind of really insidious white supremacy and colonialism and how so much of the Asian American experience and by extension, a lot of the Asian experience, folks who don't even live in this country, is wrapped around internalized racism and um, the experience of being gaslit for a lot for a lot of reasons, mostly because the experience of being an Asian American is a lot about uh, silence and being like the invisible minority. There's all of that stuff about how, you know, we're next in line to be white. So we don't have anything to complain about, which is nonsense. But also like there's intersections, right? There's a lot of different ways you can be impressed in this country. And she's looking at all of those um, and thinking about how you onboard all of that guilt and then you don't say anything and like it contributes to this kind of stereotype of Asians is like docile and accepting and it's all just very complicated and uh, for such a slim book that's only like 200 pages she's tackling huge huge issues of identity and things that uh, a lot of people who live here who have ancestry from wherever in Asia have internalized over the years even though all of us come from like disparate countries with entirely different cultures and ways of living so there's a lot a lot it's a lot it's just a lot Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. <laughs> Go forth. <laughs> nice. Uh, let's see. So my... Oh, it's romance. It's romance time. Mm-hmm. My next author is Sonali Dev, who is Indian-American, who I... Another author. I just... I, I read as many of her books as I can. And I figured I would recommend to you specifically... The newest series, which is uh, called The Rajes, that's a series name, and it is Austin-inspired, so, like, I don't know what more you want. (laughs) Come on now. Uh, Except for that I will give a note that the characters in these books experience a lot of trauma and are working Mm -hmm. through a lot. Like, a lot. Capital A, capital L, a lot. (laughs) So if that's not what you want out of your romance, just, like, know that going in. But, y'all, I just... I feel like it's always handled so well and I love these characters and I'm just obsessed with the way that she's remixing Austin. Like, they're not straight up retelling, so that's not what you should be looking for. But I love the way that she takes the sort of soul and elements of the Austin originals and then gives them her own distinct, you know, version. Um, The first one is Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, which is like an amazing title. And that one, oh, that one is really good because it has a cook hero, which I, I love a cooking, you know, character and a neurosurgeon. Uh, Trisha Raja is a neurosurgeon. And that's like, it's amazing the way the two of them interact. Like, it's like an enemies to lovers situation. It's so fun. Um, but you're, every book is revolving around this family, the Rajes, who are like, you know, very involved in politics in California. Um, they're, you know, they're surgeons. They're like wealthy. They have all of these like high society ties and are interacting, though, with people from all different walks of life. And so it's just so well done the way that like you get all of these different family members interacting with each other. You get different ones taking the focus from one book to the next. And I think what appeals to me so much about her writing is that she is funny as well as Mm. 
dealing with trauma well. Like there is like some laugh out loud banter in these books. And so when you combine that with the Austin elements and then with these like characters who are dealing with and healing from trauma, like, oh, I can't I can't resist it. It's like catnip for me. Uh, So if you are looking for really smart, fun, interesting and also, you know, dealing with trauma romances, I cannot recommend the Rajay series by Sonali Dev highly enough. Super, super great. All right. Um, YA. We're going to do a little YA, which, you know, not a genre, but here we are. <laughs> Bang that drum till the end of time. Um, I have a YA fantasy series for you. It's the Rise of the Empress series by Julie C. Dow. The first book is Forest of a Thousand Lanterns. Dow is a Vietnamese author, and this book comes with trigger warnings for child abuse. So this is like, it's YA, but I think it leans more towards the A than the Y, you know? Like, mm. it's very, very dark. Um, and it is about an 18-year-old girl named Ji Feng, who is, like, beautiful and super mean. And she lives <laughs> in this very small, impoverished village with her aunt, um, who is very abusive. She's a witch. Her name is Guma. And in the cards, she has seen that Ji Feng is destined to become empress. Like, she has this majestic future. No one can figure out how that's supposed to happen, though. Again, they live, like, in the middle of nowhere in this tiny, tiny village. Um, and so Ji Feng decides she's going to, like, take matters into her own hands. And she runs off with her boyfriend to the capital city to try to, like, get in and around and in the circles of the emperor so that she can somehow become empress. A lot of stuff happens. She does eventually end up being the empress and like she ends up in court and all of that you know unfolds but the way that she gets there is very like cutthroat it's not oops stuff happened and i stumbled into this destiny it's i am stepping on everyone humanly possible who stands in my way so that i can have this thing that i have been told since i was a child is my right to have and she does not care who she hurts along the way it's not a book for people who cannot read unlikable female characters because she is mean like i said mm-hmm. um and to everyone her husband like everyone who has cared for her in her life she's got a singular focus on ambition and this thing that she wants to accomplish and she's not even telling herself it's for good reasons you know a lot of people who are super ambitious think about like you know the billionaires in our world now elon musk is forever telling himself that he only has the best interests of humanity at heart he's that's complete mm. B- that's just bs like he's using that as a reason to get as much power and money as he possibly can. And that's exactly what Ji Feng is doing. Um, so she's not a likable character, but she's a fascinating and very, very compelling one. Like, you just want to see what happens. Like, what kind of train wreck is this going to be, you know? <laughs> well, it's several books worth of train wreck. Yes. <laughs> and I love it. I love that there is a, like, there's an East Asian fantasy taking on that kind of very typical evil queen archetype and just being unapologetically complex and mean. I keep saying mean, but she's just really mean. She's a mean, mean lady. <laughs> so that's Forest of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie C. Dow. I love that series. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Oh, it's so good. Uh, all right. I also have YA for you, except mine is science fiction dystopia. I think I may have talked before on the show about Gear Breakers by Zoe Hanna Makuta, who is Korean American. The sequel, y'all, is out in June. 
I am, my body is ready. My body is so <laughs> ready for this. It is a really intense look at, you know, what it means to be a teenager in a dystopia who, like, gets turned into a monster trying to do the right thing. Right? <laughs> That's, like, not a necessarily a new plot, but I think Makuta does really awesome things with it, and I'm just obsessed with these characters. So we meet Eris, who is, oh, there's, like, giant, you know, mech, mecha robot situation going on here. Um, and Eris is what's called a gear breaker. She's part of a rebel, you know, population who are trying to take down this corrupt government called Godalia, uh, Goldolia, excuse me. And the gear breakers, like their job is to, you know, they're like tiny humans and they're these giant, you know, enforcement robots, but they figured out piloted these giant enforcement robots piloted by like you know, people. And they've figured out how to take them down. So this is her specialty is like taking down these robots and then they scavenge them and use them, use the technology to try to like help their cause. And then Sona is a pilot. They're, the mech robots are called the windups. Um, Sona is a windup pilot, but we find out that she is like actually trying to burn it all down from the inside. That's not a spoiler. You find that out pretty fast. And so the two of them like first have to learn to trust each other, which is, you know, not easy, uh, especially because Eris has been captured and Sona has to like, you know, get her to trust her enough to help break her out because this is the opportunity that Sona has been looking for to get in touch with the rebels. And then they start to catch feelings for each other, which makes everything super complicated. Um, you get to meet uh, Eris's crew who are just like, oh, my, my, my dystopia babies. Like, it's not this book is sad. There's a lot of violence and like people are going to die and you're going to feel bad about it. Like, it's very you're just like, oh, my heart. But the action is fantastic. I thought the plot unfurled in really interesting ways. I loved getting to meet all of these characters, as I said, and it ends on such a cliffhanger, y'all. I was like, how dare you? Like when I got to the last page, it was extremely how dare. So I am very ready for the sequel. But I think that this is a great example of taking, right, that like YA rebels in a dystopia and really doubling down on like the damage that being part of such a heated political situation does to a teenager. Like, they're supposed to get to be kids, and they never get mm. to be kids. And what does that mean for them? And, like, they can—these characters are aware of what's happening to them. They know that this is not what, like, life should be like. And it's—so it is heartbreaking, but it's so well done. And, yeah, if you want, like, a good queer sapphic romance, like, you're going to get it. And it is, like, all of the hashtag complicated. Oh, I just love— I love the world building. I love the characters. I'm really stressed out about it. <laughs> I can't wait to see what happens next. So that's the Gear Breakers series by Zoe Hanna Makuta. All right. My last pick is Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. This is a memoir, pure memoir, not also essays about another thing, which is all the other nonfiction I recommended. Madden is Chinese, Hawaiian, and also Jewish, and also the niece of Steve Madden. If that helps place huh. you. Yeah, the shoes. Like football, Steve Madden? No, no, like the shoe no. guy. Oh, the shoe guy. Yeah, football, Steve Madden. Isn't there a Madden in football? Isn't there? Yeah, like it's a game, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a and game, right? He, okay, he was, so I'm not uh, totally, I mean, my sports ball knowledge is limited. Sorry, no. I'm interrupting. Sorry. No, sorry. no, now I'm like, wait, was his first name Steve Madden? <laughs> right, he was an announcer. He just died like, yeah. this yeah. year. Okay, anyway. Yeah. 
Steve Madden, the shoe guy. Okay. This is a ooh, complicated memoir. Okay. So as I said, Madden the, Madden, the author, not the shoe guy or the announcer. Her mother was Chinese and Hawaiian. Her father was Jewish. She was raised in Boca Raton. Obviously, her family has a lot of money because of this shoe empire. And so she grows up uh, in Florida in this very, very privileged, insulated community. But she's biracial and she's a lesbian. So everything for her is extremely Mm. complicated. (laughs) Um, And her parents, this, okay, so it comes with trigger warnings for addiction. Her parents are hot mess expresses, like, constantly fighting what was that book that came out it was like 10 years ago it was really wild things maybe i don't remember about the the, like the little boy the mem like it was a novel but it was autobiographical about the little boy who grew up with the banana pants parents oh yeah oh i'm gonna find we were animals yes we were animals okay yes it's got it's big vibes like that like constant fighting cheating addiction both of them drugs and alcohol um a lot a lot a lot a lot of chaos and so it's that is the backdrop of this memoir it's a real coming of age grow about growing up in this very privileged jewish community when you're not white and you're not straight and you're not religious and your parents are banana pants like it's there's a whole lot going on and it is very very much about being an outsider because she's an outsider in every way no matter where she goes you know she's not Chinese enough, she's not white enough. She's not Jewish enough, she's not straight enough because she's not straight at all. She's not, you know, whatever. Like any number of things. Um, And that constant push and pull of wanting to fit in but never really succeeding no matter where you go, even when the people around you love you entirely, you know. It's also got a little bit of that kind of rich people problem stuff, which I love Mm. reading about. (laughs) I'm like... My horse was not prepared adequately today. She's not like that. Like, she's not snooty or anything. <laughs> she has a lot of self-awareness. But some of the problems are, like, those kind of pro- like problems that she's having at her very, very fancy, wealthy private school. You know, those sorts of things. Mm. So there's just a lot going on here. It, it's You will not be able to put it down. Unputdownable, which for a memoir, I think, is kind of rare. You know? Like, there are a lot of memoirs out there are very, very good. But I wouldn't say that a lot of them are like, well, now I'm obsessed with this. You will be obsessed with this. So that's Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. Yeah, that one's been on my TBR for a while. One of these days I'm going to get to it. Um, We the Animals by Justin Torres. Thank you. I double-checked it. I double-checked it. Okay. So my last book is a, like, multi-generational epic novel. Think, like, you know, Pachinko or, you know, that kind of many, many generations of people Mm. dealing with colonialism and oppression, right? Like, that's a thing. Uh, So it's Shark Dialogues by Kiana Davenport, who is part Native Hawaiian. And this all takes place in Hawaii uh, across various of the islands. I will give content warnings for, as you might guess, (laughs) you know, for this kind of book, there's a lot of trauma and violence um, against women and children. There's rape and abuse. There's racial slurs. There's violent racism. Like, if you can think of it, it's in here. And Davenport is digging into, yeah, this, you know, what the colonization of Hawaii was like for all of the people there, right? So you get, you know, Polynesian Hawaiians, you get, you know, uh, the immigrant populations who were originally brought over to be labor on the plantations in a lot of cases. Um, So, you know, Chinese, Filipino, and other Asian, uh, you know, folks who were brought over in those ways. Um, You get, like, back to, you know, King Kamehameha and like Mm. all of that. And then you go forward into like modern times. And it is 
It's a lot. I'm like, uh, I want to say a little under halfway through. It's 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 hefty to it's long, but it's so the writing is so interesting because there are these touches of fabulism and like, you know, native traditions and, and mythologies and folklore and religions that sneak in. But then some of it is just like. Davenport is so matter of fact about all of it, about the violence, about the the more magical elements, about, you know, what it's like to be part of these families that are dealing with so many different stressors. It is so sweeping. It's amazing how she juggles all of these different points of view. And I just am in awe of the achievement that this book is. One of the one of the main characters who is like has a huge presence in the book uh, is named Pono, who is a pure-blooded Hawaiian woman who is also like a seer, a kahuna in the local language. And she's like a really complex character like there are times when I just hate the way she's behaving Mm -hmm. to others in her family and then there's times when I but like you just love her and you understand how forces have shaped her and why she's behaving the way she is which doesn't make it okay and so you're just like oh I'm so I have so many feelings about these characters and this book and I also want to talk about for a second the huge place that the leper colony on Molokai has in this book. Like, I am aware of that and have read a little bit about it, but several of the characters in this book contract leprosy and have to go and live in that, like, segregated community. And that is not something that I've read about, and I I don't know that anybody's written about it in this way because I haven't read that much about it, but, like, Davenport really brings that to life, which is, like, pretty squicky, not going to lie. Like, it's gross, but also really important, I think, to bring the humanity of those people and that plight and like the various ways that they were mistreated and used for like medical experience. I mean, it's, Mm. it's rough y'all. It's intense. It's really intense. And like I said, though, I think it's masterfully done. I'm totally sucked in. I don't know what to expect from the next two thirds of this book, given what I've already read, but I know it's going to be worth it. And yeah, really, really intense reading experience. Uh, So again, that's Shark Dialogues by Kiana Davenport. And that's our show. Woo! Woohoo! So yeah, go out, go forth, find and celebrate uh, authors of AAPI Heritage this month and every month, Mm y'all. All right. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, as always, the best. Thank you all for listening. You're probably also the best, right? Like, you're probably the best. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would argue yes. I would argue We'll yes. just assume yes. Uh, <laughs> if you would like more recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, reminder, go to bookriot.com slash listener survey. Fill out the listener survey. If you also feel like leaving us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Podchaser and wherever else you can find. We super appreciate that. It helps other people to find the show. Uh, many thanks to our sponsors as well. Amanda, where can people find you in between shows? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. 